Hello, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket. I'm your host, Blair Zahn, and today we're going to be taking a look at Goodwill. While everyone is in a festive mood and the holiday spirits are high, I think it's appropriate to take a look at a company that tries to embody those same attitudes and beliefs and feelings while not actually doing that at all. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Every time we take a look at a company and decide to do a deep dive on them, we have to take a look at how they were founded and what foundation they chose to start their business with. And Goodwill is no exception here. According to their site, Goodwill was founded in 1902 in Boston by Reverend Edgar J. Helms, a Methodist minister and early social innovator. Helms collected used household items and clothing in wealthy areas of Boston, then trained and hired those who were poor to mend and repair the used goods. Then the goods were resold or given to people who repaired them. The system worked and the goodwill philosophy of a hand up, not a hand out was born. And just by this initial impact statement from them, it sounds like a good thing. And I'm absolutely not against that. I think this is something that could teach valuable life lessons and help someone work their way out versus just getting a handout. I understood what the original goodwill message is going for here. And it's trying to help people in the long term by helping them help themselves, if that makes sense. Goodwill Amazing States. With Helms as the driving force, Goodwill Industries spread throughout the United States and by October, 1919, that movement began in Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Goodwill was incorporated on October 6, 1919, with the headquarters located at the Summerfield Methodist Church on East Park Place. Our mission then was to provide a chance, not charity, to people society had labeled as unemployable, including thousands of soldiers returning from World War I. We responded by creating employment opportunities for veterans with disabilities, as well as older workers displaced by the return of younger individuals. The Great Depression of the 1930s caused unemployment rates of 25% in Milwaukee County. Goodwill's innovation led to the cooperative effort with the Red Cross to distribute food and clothing to nearly 30,000 needy Milwaukee families. We also served as a temporary employer of hundreds, enabling men and women to provide for their families. Goodwill undoubtedly provided a service that many did not. They sold a bed with a box spring and mattress for $6.50 and a reconditioned stove for $10 during the Great Depression. And all of it was to try and give people a chance during difficult times. And in 1952, as stated by Funding Universe, of their workforce, 6% were blind, 47% physically handicapped in other ways, 15% emotionally handicapped, 19% aged, and the remaining 13% who were not handicapped, largely consisting of supervisory and transportation workers. And I know this isn't the language we use now, but the point does still stand from that quote. Goodwill employed people with disabilities, whereas other companies and organizations may not be inclined to do so. So was Goodwill founded with good intentions? Yes, at least it seems that way according to the sources and what I've found thus far. However, like we see time and time again, once a few decades pass, a company meant to help people seems to shift its focus to help those at the top like their executives. 
This is a really similar case with the Wounded Warrior Project, and I'm gonna be covering that in just a few weeks. But unfortunately, this also does seem to be the case with Goodwill. One of the biggest problems I and many others have with Goodwill is how they pay their executives. Now, although this is an ongoing issue, it became especially apparent in 2004 and 2005. What happened at that time? Well, the president of Portland, Oregon's Goodwill received over $830,000 in 2004. The Oregon Attorney General's office even opened an investigation on him, Michael Miller, and required he take a significant pay cut after calling his pay and benefits unreasonable. The NCRP, or National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy, posted a December 20th, 2005 article that says the following. Michael Miller's compensation and benefits, which had risen 61% since 1998, have been substantially more than that earned by the chief executives of Oregon's other prominent social service organizations, according to the audit obtained Monday by the Oregonian. Law does not require executives to take a vow of poverty to work in the nonprofit sector, auditors wrote of Goodwill Industries of the Columbia Willamette. But reasonable compensation is a substantive legal standard. Miller's 2004 compensation ranks him in the top half to 1% of all American wage earners. Goodwill's chairman of the board, Thomas C. Young, said Miller, who has been president of the charity for 20 years, agreed to accept a 24% cut in his salary and performance bonus because he thinks discussions of his compensation have been a distraction for an agency that does much public good. And I mean, yeah, of course he would say that. Whoever he hired as his PR team to write that statement out or to whatever, like 10 out of 10, good job, that's a solid response. But on the other hand, how else are you going to respond when you're called out for making too much money and you have to take a pay cut? Like there really isn't another answer unless you wanna like totally show your ass to the world. It's bad enough that these top level executives and presidents make such massive profits while claiming to be all about charity, but the attitudes here really are almost a little worse. This CEO is far from the only problem with Goodwill though. And it's probably one of the more superficial problems. And that should be like some kind of foreshadowing as to how interesting this is going to get. What makes Goodwill especially scummy, however, is that they claim to want to help disabled workers to give them a hand up, but they actually pay those employees pennies while these executives are making millions. In 2017, one blogger by the name of Tammy said the following of Goodwill. Last year, I got an occasional email or two sharing stories about how Goodwill exploits their disabled employees by paying them less than minimum wage and in some cases only pennies an hour, as low as 22 cents an hour, while Goodwill CEOs were making half a million to a million dollars a year. I pretty much ignored the stories because I didn't believe them and I knew that my donations and shopping helped my community and to be quite honest, myself. I felt good about donating and good about saving money. I've said repeatedly, it's a win-win situation when I shop and donate at Goodwill. But over the past couple weeks, I've received about a dozen emails questioning my integrity in promoting a company that mistreats the disabled. These emails are a result of the NBC Rock Center with Brian Williams evening broadcast that aired on June 21st, 2013, that criticized Goodwill Industries international use of special minimum wage certificates as a means for training and securing employment for individuals with significant and multiple disabilities. 
Now, as stated by the U.S. Department of Labor, Section 14 of the Fair Labor Standards Act authorized employers after receiving a certificate from the Wage and Hour Division to pay special wages or wages less than the minimum wage to disabled workers. This serves as an incentive for employers to hire disabled workers, absolutely. And it would appear that Goodwill most certainly also takes advantage of this, but maybe takes it a little too far and into some not so savory extremes. And when I say that, I'm not saying it to overdramatize or make it sound like it's this big issue when it's not. It seriously is a big issue. Because when I say they exploit the hell out of disabled workers, I'm not saying, oh, they make $7 instead of eight. They don't even make $7, not even six or five or four. Many disabled workers make $3.50 an hour working for Goodwill. According to NBC News, there's even places where workers make 22 cents an hour. So let me just out of curiosity ask, how the fuck does that even cover the cost of getting there? Because at that point, it's practically free labor and the word exploited barely feels like enough to describe the severity of the situation. One woman, Sheila, is blind with a college degree. In 2013, she interviewed with NBC and said that she had to leave the Goodwill after four years because they wanted to lower her wage from just under $4 to $2.75. And can you imagine that? Working for a company for four years, being already paid less than minimum wage, but then being told they're going to cut your pay to $2.75 an hour. I'd leave too, to be honest. She said there wasn't a point in her working there anymore because it wouldn't cover the cost of her transportation to even get to work. And Goodwill is already a company that doesn't necessarily like create their own goods, right? Because Goodwill accepts donations and then those donations are sorted, cleaned, slightly repaired, like whatever it is they do, and then it's put out for sale again. So Goodwill is simply allowing people to have tax write-offs, but they're not actually purchasing those goods. So you have goods for $0 and then employees that you can pay less than minimum wage. And then you go on to cut their pay after working for you for over four years. That makes me very uncomfortable because they tout around to the whole world how they help people with disabilities find employment. But is this really employment? Can this truly be considered employment? And going back to how they like to give a hand up to everybody, how are they doing that while employing them in like literal slave wages? Now, Forbes also covered this story back in 2013 when a lot of Goodwill's problems around salaries seemed to come to light like all at once. Here's what Forbes had to say. According to Labor Department documents dug up by NBC, Goodwill has paid workers in Pennsylvania as little as 22 cents, 38 cents and 41 cents an hour. Goodwill says those ultra low wage figures are distorted because sometimes workers run into emotional or physical issues, don't finish their shifts and then wait for a parent or caregiver to arrive. In some cases, Goodwill must still count the total amount of time the worker stays on the job, which translates to an abnormally low hourly wage. A provision in the Fair Labor Standard Act of 1938 gives employers the right to pay people with disabilities below the minimum wage. At Goodwill, explains Legland, disabled employees take a time test to see how quickly they can sort and hang a rack of clothing. The garments must be facing to the left and the top buttons fastened and separated into men's, women's, and children's sections. 
Goodwill wants workers to be able to hang 100 garments with no errors in 32 minutes. We can't do it that quickly because we can't look at a garment and see the size, she says about her experience and her husband's. Depending on how slow the employee works, Goodwill lowers the hourly wage. As for executives bringing home high salaries, Goodwill International CEO, Jim Gibbons, earns a base salary of $434,000. Change.org claims that the salaries for top managers at 150 Goodwill locations across the country total more than $30 million. If you can afford to pay six and seven figure salaries to your executives, you can afford to pay minimum wage to your employees, says Autistic Self-Advocacy Network President Ari Neiman in a statement. And again, didn't mean to bring us on into this. That's part of the quote, but love us on, great charity. And I am glad to hear them speak out against this. And look, even if a 22 cents wage is because of being unable to finish shifts or something to that effect, what's the excuse for Sheila's pay cut? What's the excuse for only paying a worker $3 and making sure an executive gets half a million dollar salary? I just feel like nonprofits that operate this way give a bad name to actual charitable organizations that really are trying to help. Forbes writes that Goodwill has responded to the reports and the petition with two written statements. According to Goodwill, the change.org petition paints an inaccurate picture of Goodwill and the use by some Goodwill agencies of the US Department of Labor's special minimum wage certificate. It's not fair to take isolated incidences of low pay and imply that they are typical for Goodwill, says one of the statements. The average hourly wage for the roughly 7,000 Goodwill employees who are paid under the FLSA provision is $7.47, says Goodwill and that's just five to 7% of the organization's workforce. An additional 25,000 disabled workers make an average annualized salary of $29,000, it says. Goodwill maintains that it's not exploiting workers, but rather giving them the opportunity to work at a time when some 80% of people with disabilities in the US do not. However, and of course there is a however, as the change.org petition puts it, and many individuals who've spoken out against this behavior, who cares if it's just a few people? Whether they're exploiting 10 people or 10,000, it's not acceptable. Especially not when Goodwill tries to paint itself as an advocate for those with disabilities. Their good deeds in the past and helping disabled workers find jobs doesn't make it acceptable to sweep those problems under the rug. I mean, a district attorney called a higher ups pay unreasonable, proving that this is clearly an issue that needs addressing. But unfortunately, this isn't where the problem ends. I'm glad that there's more recent articles on the issue, but it shows that it isn't being forgotten. And yet I'm disappointed that it also hasn't been handled by now either. One article from July, 2019, published by CBS says this. An Illinois branch of Goodwill faced a barrage of criticism after announcing plans to fire disabled workers and blaming it on the state's rising minimum wage. Sharon Durbin, president and CEO of Lincoln Goodwill, a Springfield-based organization that runs 15 thrift stores in the state, drew fire from state officials after she told workers employed under a vocational program for people with disabilities that they were losing their jobs. She cited the planned pay hike, which is slated to climb to $15 in 2025 as the reason for the layoffs. As a nonprofit, her organization doesn't pay taxes, collects state funding, and has been awarded state contracts. 
Under federal rules, it may also pay disabled workers significantly less than the minimum wage. But Durbin was forced to quickly backtrack after public outcry with Illinois Deputy Governor Christian Mitchell tweeting that Goodwill ought to be ashamed. And here's the thing, right? Like layoffs happen, absolutely. But Durbin's attitude is worrying and in some cases sickening. You see, Durbin told a CBS affiliate that Goodwill's disabled workers weren't always productive as other workers and their paychecks were only given through grace out of our budget. Has Goodwill forgotten what it was founded on? Helping disabled people? Durbin acts as if their paychecks are a handout and doesn't even seem to acknowledge that these disabled workers are in fact working for this company. How dare she say it's given out of grace when this company is a non-profit? In case people need reminding, because I know I sure as hell did at times, Goodwill is a nonprofit, but their attitude is one of a business making cut packs so Durbin can keep her six figure salary. The Chicago reporter also shed some light on the issue, making Goodwill one of the centers around the discussion about subminimum wage. They say this case highlights this practice and the outrageousness of the Goodwill branch's position should draw more attention to the issue, said State Representative Teresa Ma, who has introduced legislation to phase out the use of waivers, which allow organizations employing people with disabilities to pay subminimum wages. So let me just interject really quickly in between this article. And disabled workers deserve to be treated fairly. And I feel weird that this is something that has to be stated, but that should be a thing. This shouldn't be up for discussion. But anyway, disabled workers deserve to be treated fairly, deserve a living wage and their employers respect. If companies need more reason to hire disabled workers, then why not simply expand upon the tax breaks or tax incentives that employers already get for hiring disabled workers? Disabled workers shouldn't have to suffer or be paid drastically beneath minimum wage just so they can be hired. It's not really right. And especially not from a nonprofit and not a for-profit. The Chicago reporter continues though, and explains that even if Goodwill is one of the most prominent places where this occurs, it's far from the only place where it occurs. The Chicago reporter says, we at Access Living are not surprised that a Goodwill branch would exercise poor judgment about the position of its employees with disabilities, said Amber Smock, the group's director of advocacy. Goodwill has long been known in the disability community nationally as a group that pays less than minimum wage to some workers at some branches. Many workers in Illinois classified as having mild or moderate disabilities, including people with epilepsy, polio, visual impairment, deafness, and learning disabilities currently make less than $1 an hour, Smock said. And like, Okay, (laughs) if fucking Country Living Magazine is questioning if Goodwill is too greedy, then there's something seriously wrong here. They also write that Goodwill Omaha CEO, Frank McGree was fired in 2016 after a World Herald investigation revealed that he received between $400,000 and $930,000 annually, while more than 100 workers at his stores made less than minimum wage. 2016 doesn't seem like things have been changing much. And even if this just happened a few years ago, these problems have been around for far longer. However, the gigantic pay gap isn't the only problem Goodwill has. It's also a question of where does that money go? Another problem at Goodwill, though far less well-known than the first, is where their money actually goes. 
One 2015 article from ABC 13 News said that according to Goodwill's most recent tax filing, they helped more than 5,000 people find jobs. And yet the financial information they don't disclose on their website are tens of thousands of dollars in bonuses. ABC 13 News says, tax records show Goodwill Industries turned donated items into $71,000 in training for 139 employees, but also gave its own employees children 17 scholarships worth $23,000. Among the scholarships, $4,000 is split evenly among four children of Goodwill's vice presidents. News 13 also uncovered salaries for the local CEO and top four vice presidents topped well over six figures each and included tens of thousands in bonuses for all five. In the foundation's paperwork, we found an agreement to pay Goodwill's former CEO $74,000 a year until his death. It should be something people are aware of and that's how they can find it out by looking on the report. They have to include those with the salary, Messer said. Not everyone has the time to pour over tax forms to determine whether a charity is doing the most good with your donation. Most of us like to give and we want to give, but we have to be careful. You need to listen to your head and not your heart, said Messer. And the result of things like this? Well, Goodwill's financial score is just eh. It's not horrible, it's not incredible. On Charity Navigator, they have a 75 out of 100. And this is far from the worst score I've seen, but it shows pretty clearly that there are simply better places to donate. This score is true of many different Goodwill industry branches. Their accountability and transparency score is great, while their financial score is lacking. As much as Goodwill states that 86 cents on every dollar donated go towards job training programs, I'm still left wondering why there's such a massive pay gap between the higher ups and disabled workers when I thought the people they were trying to help were those with disabilities. Now, although this is far from their biggest controversy, Goodwill has also faced some criticism in California in the past for advocating for stronger regulations around clothing donation bins. Assemblywoman Kristen Olson, a Republican of Modesto, told calwatchdog.com that the bill will better protect property owners and provide a legal method for removing unwanted bins. Olson called the bill a reasonable measure about respecting the rights of property owners. However, not everyone agreed with her. Jonathan Franks, a spokesman for the coalition of organizations fighting these regulations being one of them. Franks describes the bill as Goodwill's attempt to corner the clothing donation market and make more money. In 2011, Goodwill Industries generated nearly $3 billion of its 4.4 billion in annual revenue from its secondhand clothing stores. Goodwill would benefit from collection bin regulations because it commonly uses tractor trailer donation centers, the bill's critics say. Smaller charities, on the other hand, use smaller bins and therefore must go through the bureaucratic process for each location. It's really unfortunate that Goodwill has devoted so much money to a statewide attempt to make it impossible for legitimate charities like Dare and Planet Aid to place clothing donation boxes in California, Frank said. We believe Californians should have the right to choose the cause they donate to, and it's unfortunate that Goodwill doesn't share that position. It does seem like Goodwill has a monopoly on the closed donation bins, or that's one way to see it, but as long as smaller donation bins aren't completely forced out of the picture, then I don't have too much issue here or much more to say about it in general. 
And again, to give credit where it's due, Goodwill has launched the donate movement in the past to spread awareness about the importance of reselling and reusing clothing to help lessen the impact the textile industry has, as well as reduce waste in landfills. They opened up a pop-up store in San Francisco in 2010 and hired members of the LGBTQ community. Though the pop-up was closed some months later, the staff was transferred to various Goodwill stores in the area. Without a doubt, they've done some incredible things in their history, but at the same time, they failed to show, well, goodwill in other scenarios. One source paints an even grimmer picture of the nonprofit. Seven days after he saw his coworker die, crushed by heavy equipment, Dave Goody returned to work at the Goodwill outlet on Franklin Boulevard. Goody, a commercial driver, thought he was psychologically ready to resume his $16.50 an hour job after a week of paid administrative leave. He said he assured his bosses would continue to offer sympathy and support as they had in the days following the September 30th, 2016 death of Abraham Nicholas Garza on the front loading dock. Instead, Goody was ushered into an office and fired by a top executive of Goodwill Industries of Sacramento Valley and Northern Nevada. Goody said he was issued his final check along with a memo that banned him from Goodwill premises and warned that he could be arrested for trespassing. Goodwill, one of the most recognized names in philanthropy and community service, has publicly blamed Goody for Garza's death while also raising questions about his character. Goody, 56, is still unemployed and is fighting back. He has filed a complaint with the California Labor Commissioner's Office, contending he was a victim of retaliation for cooperating with state safety investigators. A Goodwill employee for six months, Goody repeatedly had warned managers about safety hazards and a lack of training at the Franklin outlet. And that's a bit to take in right there. The state actually blamed Goodwill for the accident and they were penalized $106,000 and given six violations, four of them serious, one of them with potential criminal liability. Investigators also discovered Goodwill hadn't provided adequate training in machinery operation. Goody himself said he doesn't even know what safety procedure he violated because there were no real safety procedures in place. He claims he was fired for being a whistleblower and you know, it just really doesn't look like Goodwill cares about its employees when this kind of shit's going on. But it is truly tragic what happened to Garza. I don't want to turn this into a finger pointing who's who to blame and who's at fault for this sort of situation. Someone died here. But it's just that, Goodwill's track record of not really changing issues or actually caring about their employees, disabled or not. They seem to have more potential to be able to change and go back to their roots than a lot of other terrible businesses and nonprofits I've covered so far. But even so, I'm not exactly holding my breath on this one. And that is where we are going to end today's episode. If you enjoyed this corporate casket, make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever you're listening to so you can always stay updated when a new episode comes out. This podcast releases episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you want to connect with me outside of the podcast, you can do so by following any of my social media. Links should be in your nearest description box, as well as all the sources I use to create this podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye. Bye.